Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Salaf Lodi. And today, in today's episode, we'll be going over everything you needed to know on ways to manage anxiety, how to detect it, and how to overcome it. And today in the studio with me is Dr. Asin Sheikh, and he'll be continuing the discussion on anxiety from our previous episode where we identified exactly what anxiety was and how it presented itself in relationships. But before I get into it, the very first thing I wanted to make very clear is that we are not giving any type of medical advice. So if you have any concerns about your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman who talks about sex. So welcome again, Dr. Asin Sheikh. So happy to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be with you and your your viewers and your listeners. So thank you so much. So, you know, just to give a little recap on the previous episode, you had spoken a little bit about, not a little bit, but you had discussed uh, anxiety in general, and then how it presented itself in relationships. And today, we're going to be talking about the impact of anxiety in relationships and ways to note it and manage it. So the platform is all yours. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what we were kind of talking about last time is uh, how, first of all, anxiety is one of the most common reasons people come in to seek help, whether it's from a psychiatrist or a therapist. Uh, It's extremely uh, uh, common and it can impact any part of our life. It can impact our relationship with our spouse, with our children. It can affect our work performance. It can affect our sleep. It can affect our appetite. There's so many things that anxiety can actually impact. And so it's really important to figure out how to uh, learn how to manage it. Um, and what we talked about last time was that um, we should get past this notion that we're going to get rid of anxiety because anxiety is actually a very, very essential part um, of our protective um, mechanism inside of us. It's a protective mechanism every living being has. And it's basically designed to keep us alive. It's a survival system to detect threat and then to mobilize us. And how does it mobilize us? It gives us this sudden shot of adrenaline. And that shot of adrenaline causes us to go into what we talked about last time, fight or flight mode. So that if there really was an emergency situation, an earthquake, a car about to hit us, our reaction time would speed up and we'd have a lot more energy to deal with it and to hopefully survive that scenario. That's literally what it's for. And so it's never going to leave our system. Okay, we can't get rid of it. But what we can do is we can notice it and manage it better. And in doing so, prevent it from causing disruptions, because I'll talk about that today, why it can cause disruptions. So uh, the the main thing that happens uh, when we have this sort of shot of adrenaline in our system 
is that it speeds up our body. If you were to check your heart rate when you're anxious, it'd be faster than your normal heart rate, just as a very simple measure. And that's a really quick and easy way to see how anxious you are. You just check your pulse compared to how it typically is. Okay, so that's one way that you can kind of start the noticing process. So the first, I, I use an acronym for this called NBC, noticing, befriending, and then channeling um, the energy that comes with anxiety. Okay, so the noticing part is the first part, right? There's no way to manage it until unless we notice it. And the reason that that's important is that this is this happens invisibly. We don't always realize how tense we are. It's sort of this internal process. And so we might not be even aware in a part of our day, how tense or how relaxed are we? And so um, let's talk a little bit about that, how to first notice it. You know, how are we shifting gears between being anxious or not anxious? So in our body, it can be fairly obvious. Our heart rate is going fast. Also, our stomach not, might not feel very good. And the reason is that adrenaline not only speeds up our heart rate, it shifts the blood where our blood is. So it constricts our blood vessels in our gut, in our digestive tract. And all that blood gets shunted to our arms and legs. Again, why? So that we can run or fight in a dangerous situation. But the body thing, the, the body um, sign that you can notice is that your stomach might feel clenched, or people talk about butterflies in their stomach. Also, because blood flow has gone to your arms and legs, people might feel shaky. They may be wanting to pace or move around a lot. They might feel tension. And people often get it in their head. We have actually have a lot of muscles in our head and our jaw, very strong, powerful muscles, and these tense when we're in that state. So one way of noticing whether you're, when you're anxious is simply to do a body scan. Am I having tension in my muscles? How's my stomach feel? How does my heart feel? And our breathing even, right? Sometimes when we get tense, we stop taking nice full breaths, nice deep belly breaths. And we kind of breathe more from the top of our breath. And a really simple, quick little tool you can do to check that is you just put your hand on your chest. You put your other hand on your belly. You may not be able to see that. And you just simply notice which one's moving more than the other. If this one is moving more than your belly, it means you're not getting a full deep breath. And it's a sign there's a fair amount of tension in your body. So that's, that's one way, is to look through our body, you know, to scan our body and to see, you know, what's going on with it. But the other thing you can do is actually to notice your thinking. And there's, I've got a, I've got a lot of acronyms, and here's another acronym. Um, yeah. This acronym to determine whether your brain, from your thinking, whether you're anxious or not, is called FUNK, F-U-N-K. Almost like my brain is in a funk, okay? And F stands for my brain is thinking F faster. So if you just notice that your thoughts are really speedy or that there's a lot of thought, one's kind of colliding into the other to the other, and there's no break between thoughts, that's a sign you are in that high anxiety mode or survival brain. The U is for urgency. And this is a really important one and, you know, Tell me if you ever noticed this, um, 
when we are in that mode, every single problem in our life, whether it's today's problem or next week's problem or next year's problem, all seem equally urgent. Like we have to solve them right now. Um, if, if, if the message we were getting from our brain was a text, it'd be all in capital letters, urgent, right? That, that's another sign that you're in a high anxiety state. The N is a really important one because when our body speeds up and our brain speeds up, it has to let go of some things. It has to focus on other things because it's going so fast. So N stands for negativity. And our brain kind of almost shuts off connection to the positive part of our brain, the things that could go well. It's under the impression that it doesn't have time for that and has to focus on what else can go wrong. So our thoughts become very, very negative, which is why it's really important, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, not to do a lot of thinking when you notice that you're in that kind of stage. Because what kind of thoughts are you going to have? Negative thoughts, right? If you're going to think about your partner, you're going to think negative things. You think about yourself, you're going to think negative things. Oh, what's our future going to be like together? You'll see all the things that are going to go wrong. <laughs> what was my partner like? In the past, how do they treat me? All you're going to do is remember every negative thing that they ever did. So that filter is built into that high speed, high adrenaline state we're in. And it's a really important sign that we're in that state. And then the K is actually not a K. It should be a C, but just to make the acronym work, K is for catastrophizing. If we notice that we're making everything into a life and death deal, thinking very black and white. It's either this way or the other way. That's a sign we're not in our normal logical brain. We're in our sped up adrenalized brain. So um, with those things in mind, we can use either our body or our brain to first determine whether we're anxious or not. Um, and that's the first step, noticing it. And what I tell people like, you know, when I work with them in sessions is don't skip this step. Don't rush through and try to figure out and change everything. Spend at least a week noticing during your day, are there peaks and times when these things occur? Um, as you know very well, um, there are diurnal variations in our stress hormones. So for some people, they reach a peak of adrenaline uh, during the uh, morning. At other people, it's at night. And there's this nice sort of period where it's at a balanced state, but there's other times when it's too high. So you can notice diurnal variations in this. And then you can notice what are your specific uh, triggers? We all go through our day and there are certain um, scenarios. There are certain even people that we don't know why, but they just trigger this anxiety inside of us. And so spend, you know, at least a week just kind of noticing what are your triggers and what are your diurnal variations in this. The other thing that can affect it, as uh, again, as I'm sure you know very well, are things like nutrition. So the difference between um, a carb, high carb diet, for example, and a more balanced protein and vegetable diet um, makes a big difference in terms of our stress levels. Uh, you know, just broadly speaking,
speaking, you know, protein is broken down more stably. So we have a more steady source of energy, whereas carbs can lead to very high sugar levels, which increase our adrenaline, and then to these big drops. And when we're trying to be productive in a steady way through these ups and downs, that creates a lot of stress. And then um, there was this great uh, study I'd heard um, about another aspect of nutrition uh, from France. And, the, you know, the question they asked was, you know, how is it that French people who eat very rich food, you know, very, you know, lots of butter, right, things like that, how do they stay fairly, uh, fairly trim and in good health? And they realized that the reason was they ate in a specific way. They ate very regular meals. So in other words, the variation between when they would eat breakfast and lunch during a week was very minimal. It was always around the same time. So that's one thing that allows our body to kind of predict and settle in our, our diurnal variation of cortisol and other stress hormones is, is regularity with meals, eating at the same time. The other thing that they do is they don't eat alone. They eat with friends, family, and there is an aspect of that. Um, uh, again, we're mammals and mammals co-regulate each other. And so when we're eating and talking and discussing things with people, um, it reduces stress. So these are other factors that can all make a difference in terms of, um, you know, whether we're anxious or not. It's amazing. I had no idea that um, nutrition played such a key role in, you know, anxiety and also when we ate and uh, and who we eat with. That's so interesting. I, I guess I never made that correlation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, like we're, we're mammals and mammals were designed to have a couple features, emotions and emotions allow us to what I call co-regulate. We were never really designed to manage all of our emotions um, alone in a solitary fashion. We were meant mm -hmm. to using close contact with people we care about through using eye contact, the tone of our voice, uh, physical touch. All of these things are comforting things that allow us to reduce our stress hormones. And... Um, wow. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and so that's why it's essential to have um, a healthy social circle and to have a, you know, a healthy relationship with our intimate partners, but also with good friends. There's a, there was a great Framingham study when it looked at men's health. Um, and this was a great longitudinal study done in Boston. And the, the number one predictor of men's medical health over the years was if they kept a close group of friends throughout that had wow. much more impact than you know nearly anything else and so so right i just wanted to underscore that point that we really do need to co-regulate and to put the work in you know because it's, it's got to be like both ways right we need to be givers and takers yeah. we want to have reciprocal relationships with people and to establish that in our life, that will reduce our stress level a lot. 
That's so important. I didn't realize, you know, I guess you, you, you know, you always feel better when you're with friends, right? But it's so important to realize that there's actually a science behind it. And it can result in longevity, right? And a good life um, is when you have that connection with others. And you when you have that connection, you don't feel that loneliness. So it, it uh, just makes a lot of sense. But that's great to know the science behind it. Absolutely. And it's um, it's important to kind of underscore because um, the demands of modern life pull us in the opposite direction. Right. You know, we yeah. end up um, you and I both have had this experience moving away from like the community that we grew up in just because of, you know, job opportunities, et cetera. It, it's not a bad thing. But, you know, there are these other forces that pull us away from friends, from family and it's really important to reestablish that kind of like inner circle, right, of people that we can regularly connect with and not have to be superficial with, right, to actually be able to really let, it, let them know how we're feeling. Um, so yeah. it's not just having people, but actually having people you can have in-depth uh, communication and connection with. Sure. So do you think that as people age, you know, there's a tendency for people to become more isolated and I'm sure the pandemic, you know, didn't help. And so, you know, as we become more isolated, I would think that that would probably give rise to more anxiety, right? The more time that we spend by ourselves, um, it only speaks to what that can result in. And I would assume that that was probably more anxiety, more depression, all of those things that we saw in the pandemic. Absolutely. I mean, the pan pandemic uh, unleashed a tsunami of mental health issues, largely because of isolation, right? Um, you know, even this, which which is a good thing to do that we're communicating, still doesn't even compare to being in the same room, right? Being connected yeah. to someone, and your your point about uh, aging, and um, as we get older, what impact is is an excellent one. Uh, because first of all, we're living longer now. I think there was a study that says, that, you know, yeah. pretty soon half of our life is going to be after 50, um, which is an wow. amazing thought. Um, and also a challenge, right? Because as we get older, we lose the people around us, right? We lose the people who are older than us. We lose our parents. We lose our uncles and our aunts and even sometimes our older brothers and sisters. And so it really is important to kind of think ahead about how to keep um, those connections going, um, how to keep connected with family, people who are younger than you, how to still have peers that are um, that that are uh, close to you. So yeah, absolutely. Like um, thinking of it as we age is, is very important. And to, you know, we, we often we plan for our retirement money, right, <laughs> which is important but we should probably be doing yeah. equal planning for our kind of companionship, um, you know, in the years to come. Right. Absolutely. Right. absolutely. Absolutely. See what a impact that plays on health and overall well-being. Um, so you had talked about a few of the acronyms. So you talked about FUNK and NBC. Mm -hmm. um, are there other acronyms that you have with anxiety that you kind of, you know, teach your patients about? Those are the main ones. And, you know, we've just gotten to the N and the NBC, and we'll, we'll be doing other podcasts about the, um, befriend, uh, the how to befriend it and how to channel the anxiety once it's there in your system. Uh, 
but I wanted to spend a lot of time on noticing because noticing is a form of mindfulness and mindfulness has been proven to be the most effective way of dealing with, with anxiety. And mindfulness simply means that the conscious part of your mind um, is aware and in control rather than letting your unconscious mind sort of just dictate things to you. Um, we have an, all of us have an unconscious mm -hmm. mind. We talked about it last time. Our breathing is unconscious, for example. Um, but if we allow our unconscious or automatic mind to dictate things, we're going to be stressed out a lot because it's constantly thinking of things yeah. that could go wrong. And so noticing that and then deciding um, uh, that how, how to adjust is, is essential. And what I mean is that uh, when we notice that we are in a funk, like we talked about, or we notice that our body is sending us all these signals, it's important to avoid doing a lot of extra thinking. And maybe we can kind of close with this, you know, this this yeah. aspect of it. Um, if you think about what types of thinking do we do during the day, there's sort of the ordinary, you know, um, planning, uh, scheduling, etc. But then there's all these other things we try to do, like predicting how things are going to go, um, analyzing ourselves, others, um, remembering a lot of things making decisions. This is all parts of higher order thinking, but those all are things that don't go well when we are already in a high adrenaline state. And why? Because of like what mm. we talked about, we're going to only think of very, very negative things. So if I'm really revved up and I'm now trying to predict how my day is going to go, I'm going to see doom and gloom because again, all I'm going to see are the negative yeah. things. And I'm going to catastrophize things and I'm going to overload myself because I'm going to see not only today's problems, but tomorrow's problems, et cetera, as urgent. So one of the most important things to do when you notice that you're in a high adrenaline state is to turn off those functions for now. Because these states come and go. They, they don't last for years. They don't last for hours. They just last for minutes if we allow them and if we discharge them, which we'll talk about next time. But in the meantime, we want to say, no, 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 I'm not in the kind of frame of mind to be doing all this kind of analyzing, predicting. And I certainly don't want to be making decisions right now. I'll make a very hasty, right, right. abrupt decision. I'll overreact. Most of the time when people get upset with other people, when they're angry with other people, it's because there's a lot of adrenaline in their system and they're overreacting somebody says one thing that's a little upsetting and they're overreacting and taking it in a very, very kind of harsh manner. So one of the important things not to do is any analyzing, decision-making, um, predicting. And instead, we're going to focus on just soothing ourselves, getting some of that adrenaline out, in a, out of our body. And then once we're back in our balanced brain, then we'll do all that type of thing. And that that way communication goes much better. Our decision-making improves. Even our outlook on our life. I don't think you've ever noticed this, you know, how our outlook in our life can shift so dramatically, even within a day, right? Yeah. And it's simply because of the amount of stress that's in our body. So 
so yeah, so to our you know to all your you know great viewers and followers, that would be my suggestion. Focus first of all on the end, the noticing. Notice what's in your body, notice in your mind, and when we pick up next time, we'll talk about what to do when you're in one of those high adrenaline states instead of all that thinking. And I guess that's also what they talk about, right? Is um, calming the nervous system. Right. So when you're anxious, then your sympathetic nervous system is going off, your heart rate is going up, you're sweating, you're, you know, you're getting more upset. But um, when you're in a more calm state, right, so I guess calming our nervous system, then you're able to be more in a rational mind and make those important decisions like you were talking about. So I guess very important with people that may have anxiety or I think I, you know, I would say that almost all of us have some point, you know, a little bit of anxiety now and again. And so it's very important to be able to notice that and realize what's going on. And I think that that's where it's so important to have somebody like you as who's a psychiatrist, you know, and be able to explain everything as to what's going on and when is, you know, the best time to be making a decision and when can you make a more mindful decision, um, you know, and realize that it's probably not when you're having an anxiety attack, but it's more when you're able to make a calm, rational decision and when your nervous system is calm then you can also make those very heavy decisions that you need to make. So that was excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Sheikh. I really appreciate you coming on and helping our listeners understand more about anxiety and what happens and how we can perhaps try to calm those down, calm down our um, anxiety a little bit so that we can make more uh, a better decision better decisions at that time when we are more mindful. So thank you so much. Um, and any last words that you want to say before we um, end our podcast for today and our session? I feel like I was in a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> no, just just to highlight on your point that you're right. This this is not just for people who have already decided, you know, have an anxiety disorder. We all have stress in our body, like I said. And so um, this shouldn't be considered like a sign of pathology. This is a sign of being a living being. Uh, dogs have anxiety. Cats have anxiety. We have anxiety. You, you, you name it. If you're alive, you're going to have energy to protect you and stay alive. And so we all can benefit from these tips. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And I can't wait for our next episode. And so, well, we are done here and it's been really, really intimate and very, very helpful and educational in terms of learning about anxiety and learning what we can do to help calm our own nervous system. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So if you're having any problems or issues with anxiety, please go and see your healthcare provider. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one -on -one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. <laughs>